Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Finance Now podcast. This podcast is purely for informational and educational purposes, and it's my way of sharing my knowledge, research, and opinions with you. I'm Anurag Birla, and today I'd like to break the episode down into two segments. The first, where I talk about inflation, and the second, where I briefly look at a company I like, Roblox, and their share price drop earlier this week. Starting with inflation. Of course, this is a word that has been thrown around for a while now. But to do a bit of a deep dive, I'd like to take a macro look at the overall economy, stock market, and everything that's happened since COVID. I'll also talk about the latest US inflation data from last week and touch on what we might face going forward. I'll start this off pretty simple. First off, it's important to understand what inflation is, how it's caused, and how it's measured. Basic definition is inflation is the rise in prices over a period of time. This isn't a measure of an increase in the price of one or two goods, but rather the change in prices for a diverse set of products and services. The loss of purchasing power impacts the basic cost of living for the general public, which then leads to a slowdown in economic growth. So how is this caused? Well, at the root of it, the cause is an increase in money supply which is exactly what happened during 2020. I'll get into that a bit later. And to measure inflation, we tend to rely on a few price indexes. The consumer price index, or the CPI, the wholesale price index, or the WPI, and the producer price index, or the PPI. CPI measures the weighted average of goods and services that are primary needs of a consumer. So these include transportation, food, and medical care. Changes in CPI reflect the change in cost of living, which makes it probably the most frequently used statistic for tracking inflation or deflation. The WPI tracks the prices of goods and services before it reaches the retail market. The items in this measure vary from country to country, but they mostly include items at the producer or wholesale level. An alternative to the WPI is the PPI, which many countries, including the US, use. The PPI measures the average change in selling prices received by domestic producers of intermediate goods and services over time. It's different to the CPI in the sense that it measures price changes from the perspective of the seller rather than the perspective of the buyer. Any of these price indexes can be used to calculate the value of inflation between two periods, could be months or could be years. So now that we're good with the basic economics, let's move on to talking about how our current inflationary scenario came to be. When the pandemic hit the nation and the world in March 2020, regulators had to act fast. Lockdowns were imposed, fear amongst the general public skyrocketed, and economies suffered brutally sharp declines. In response to the tanking of the stock market, the Federal Reserve decided to inflate the economy by printing trillions of dollars. This is known as quantitative easing, or QE, where the Fed purchased securities from the open market to reduce interest rates and increase money supply. This created more liquidity for banks, which in turn encouraged lending and investment. An actual implementation of this were the stimulus stimulus checks. The the Fed printed around 3.3 trillion in 2020 alone, which was one fifth of all US dollars in circulation that year. Now, while QE definitely encouraged spending during a precarious time, it's led to knock-on effects that we've been seeing and experiencing now in the market. 
2021 marked a record year in terms of market recovery, with the U.S. economy turning in the best performance it's ever produced since 1984. Needless to say, flooding the economy with cash could easily lead to an increase in prices as demand outweighs limited supply. This leads to our first effect, which is obviously high inflation. The problem became clearly visible in 2022 when the U.S. inflation rate topped 9% in June which was the largest yearly jump since 1981. Panic amongst investors increased and talks about a looming recession spurred. This is somewhat intertwined with the second effect, which is market volatility. 2022 was filled with it. Of course, the war in Europe has something to do with it too, but we can fairly say that QE contributed to market volatility as well. Now to counter the high inflation and to somewhat stabilize the ship, the Fed obviously started taking some tough measures. The aggressive and historic rate hikes over the last year and a bit, along with reducing the size of its balance sheet. The Fed is shaving off around $95 billion of treasury bonds and mortgage securities from its balance sheet each month. That's lowering the demand for long-term bonds, causing real long-term interest rates to increase. When interest rates increase, asset prices lower, causing inflation to slow down. It also encourages households to save more and reduce excessive spending. Quantitative tightening, which is what this is, cannot last forever though, and it is likely that the Fed will start reducing their pace. They would, however, wait for clearer signs that point to a slowdown of inflation. The recent release of the PPI from the Bureau of Labor Statistics showed a dramatic cooldown in inflation in March, the lowest annual rate since Jan 2021. Given the recent downward trend in both the PPI and the CPI, it would be fair to assume that inflation has already peaked. However, that doesn't mean that the worst is behind us. Unemployment seems to be on the rise, and that serves as an indicator of recession. So while there was plenty of discussion of a soft landing versus a hard landing, it's looking more and more likely that we are in for a hard landing. Just to distinguish the two concepts, a soft landing is when a central bank slows the economy enough to lower inflation without causing a rise in unemployment or a contraction in GDP. And a hard landing is essentially a recession. Obviously, a soft landing would be ideal, but the next few weeks and months will give us a much clearer indication of where we're heading. If unemployment continues to rise, then it would paint a much bleaker picture of what is to come. And so that, that's a wrap on the macro outlook, and it brings us to the end of the inflation topic. So up next, after this quick break, I'll briefly talk about Roblox, a company I quite like, and their recent drop in price, and their March metrics. People, stop what you're doing, and listen to what I have to say. Inflation is in the nation, and it's about to put us all away. So, Roblox. For those of you that don't know, Roblox is an online gaming and game development platform that allows users to program their own games and play games by other users. It's one of the stocks that did really, really well during the Metaverse hype days and ever since has fallen from its all-time high of $134 and has settled around the $40 range. Last Friday, the 14th of April, Roblox, uh, Roblox closed at around $45, $46 and on Monday, opened at about 40. So what happened? What caused the 12% drop? Well, this week, 
pre-Monday, they announced their March metrics. This was the last of their monthly metric releases, as they previously announced that this process would be discontinued. The reason for them doing so makes total sense, in that they want to align their reporting with the long-term view that they're taking. Okay, so going back to their metrics, their daily active users were 66.2 million, which was up 26% year over year, but a decline of 1.1 million relative to Feb. Hours engaged were up 26% year over year and better than the 4.6 billion hours reported for Feb. Their estimated revenue and their estimated bookings were also up year over year. Their average bookings per daily active user is what may have been the cause for concern as Roblox believed that the number is expected to drop on a year-over-year basis. So what can we make of these numbers? It's good to see, for one, that the number of daily active users were up from a year ago, but the fact that they are down from a month ago is not great. I think just overall we'd want to see more consistent increases in that number to be fully sold. Um, And the number of hours being up from a month ago is encouraging, though given there were 1.1 million less daily active users, the time spent on the platform on average would have increased. That said, the only way the amount of time spent on the platform benefits Roblox as a company is if they are making money from it. And Roblox makes their money from selling their own virtual currency called Robux. Players use this currency to buy features in games, upgrade and dress up their avatars and other things as well. And the fact that the average bookings per daily active user is expected to drop year over year is not a great sign, as it points to a slowdown in spending of the users. Again, these are monthly metrics, and the company did mention that they're much more focused on the long-term picture. And for us, the micro-study each and every month can be a bit too much. But for those that are interested, their earnings call is due on the second week of May, So it would be great to see and understand how their quarter went. Overall, I quite like the company. They're looking beyond gaming and are focused on creating immersive experiences where people can work, learn, play, shop, and experience entertainment together. I think it would be one to keep an eye out for to see whether they can inch their way towards a positive bottom line sooner rather than later. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did make it this far, I thank you for listening. Once again, I'm Anurag Brilla, and this is Finance Now. You call me Nas, but the hood call me Doobie,